All right, you can be seated. How are we doing this morning? Good. So three of us are doing well. How, how are the rest of us? How are we doing? Good. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, a little hand clap in there. That's a win. Hey, well, this is my first time uh, to be able to speak at Creekside. And, and when I put this on my calendar uh, several months ago, when Matt called and, and asked uh, and gave me the invitation to speak, uh, I was just really excited. But you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to speak at Anderson and the opportunity to speak at Southwood, which is where me and my family uh, attend and go. Uh, but I want to introduce uh, kind of my family to you guys, just so you can know a little bit about who I am. Uh, that is my wife uh, to my right. We met in the Woodlands uh, several years ago. Um, we just celebrated 16 years of marriage, which was fun. And, uh, and then because we've been married for so long, our kids are getting bigger. And so uh, Brooke is our oldest, and she is just to my left. My hand is on her shoulder. She's hugging our bonus baby, Claire, who's five years old. So that's the gap between them, eight years. And uh, man, I don't know if there's any parents of teenagers or middle schoolers in here, but it is not for the faint of heart uh, right there. So we have Brooke, and uh, she's amazing. And then Claire, who's kind of the energy of our house right now. And then uh, my other two, that's Hudson, uh, kind of at the end to my right. And that's uh, Hallie, to kind of in between her and in between Lindsay and Hudson, and they're twins, and so they are, they are 11 years old, and so uh, they're our joy. They're the ones who keep us busy. They're the ones who keep us up at night. Uh, they're the ones that keep us on our toes, uh, that's for sure, uh, but, but I met Lindsay uh, when I was in the Woodlands, and I was the interim youth pastor at a church uh, in, in the Woodlands, and part of my role was to lead the youth on Sundays and Wednesdays. Uh, but then on Wednesday nights, we would, uh, me and the other uh, youth intern would go to a college Bible study. So I was a college student at the time, and so we would go, and my job was to lead worship uh, for this college Bible study as well as do the interim youth work. And so I remember the first time we leave the youth, I'm a little exhausted, if I'm being honest, and I go to this house in the woodlands, and we turn up to go to their little game room upstairs, and as soon as I turn the corner, I see this blonde-haired girl uh, kind of across the room, and I'm like, I need to know her. I mean, like, I need to do whatever it takes to cause our paths to cross, and I just need to get to know her a little bit more. And so uh, you better believe it that one of the first things we did that I was really excited about was introduce ourselves, kind of go around the circle and introduce ourselves. So I, I'm the, I go first, or the first between Lindsay and I, and I kind of lean back in my chair, the couch I was sitting on, and I'm just kind of you know, moderately paying attention to everyone else as they go. And then as soon as it gets to Lindsay's turn, I'm not moderately paying attention. I'm very much paying attention at this moment. I am very intrigued with what's going on. And I lean forward in, on the couch, and she starts talking. She says, hi, my name is Lindsay Smith, and I go to the University of Texas. I immediately sit back in the couch and I'm thinking, this is never going to work. Not even a good idea. And so the rest of that summer, God redeems the Longhorns from Austin and I begin to get to know her and we start dating. We start dating about a week left that we have that I'm in the woodlands. And from that moment on, we are never in the same city until we're married. 
And so one of the key pivotal moments, though, is Lindsay and I were uh, dating and we were doing this long distance thing. I remember sitting uh, at what is now Fuddruckers and I was reminded that it was Garcia's back in the day. I don't know if y'all remember that place, but it had great chips and salsa, uh, really good fajitas. And I don't know what happened to it, but it's now it's Fuddruckers. And we're not here to talk about chips and salsa, even though I'm a little hungry now at 1144. And so I remember sitting there and I remember thinking, you know, I, I, I'm going to marry this woman. And, and it wasn't that she said something profound in the moment. You know, it, like it, it wasn't like a, a white halo came down and I just gazed into her eyes and thinking, I can never live without you. It wasn't that. I just remember it being as plain as day. Hey, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with you. And that little decision, that little moment uh, caused me to take a bunch of risks in my life. A few months later, I call up Lindsay's dad. And I'm like, hi, Mr. Smith. Uh, yes, this is George. And he's like, who? Oh, I'm the person that's been dating your uh, daughter. I'm joking. He knew who I was. And, um, and so, hey, hey, I was just wondering if we could set up a time. I know you travel a lot, but can we set up a time to talk? And he's like, sure, let me figure out a time when Terry can come with us. And I'm like, great, mom and dad. And so then I find myself a week later driving from College Station to the Woodlands on a Wednesday night at Tom's Barbecue. You know, Tom's Barbecue was here in College Station. It's there in the Woodlands, seemed right at the time. And so here we are at Tom's Barbecue trying to make up all this small talk. Hey, how's the weather? How's work? What's going on with you? How's Ryan doing? All this small talk because I don't want to enter into the conversation a little too early just in case it goes bad. I don't want to be slicing up my brisket being like, hey, I know you can't, I can't marry your daughter, but this food is really good. I don't want it to do that. And so I'm sitting here in this moment trying to like just raise up the gumption inside of me to finally have this conversation. Our food comes and I enter into it. And I take the risk. It's like, hi, Ron, Terry. I get real formal. I know you know why we're here. <laughs> I know I haven't driven to College Station from, or to the Woodlands from College Station on a Wednesday night any other time. I love your daughter so much, and I just want to ask your permission to ask her to marry me. And if I'm being really honest, in, in that moment, I felt a little exposed. I'm a 22-year-old. I have no experience of life. Just enough to be dangerous. I'm in debt because I've got school, because I got a student loan to buy an engagement ring. That's what I did, just being honest. <laughs> then, then I have a job that's going to happen in like three months in a different city. Not only a different city, but a different state. And what you have to know about the Smith family is their eighth generation Houstonian. It's not eighth, gener eighth generation Texan, eighth generation Houstonian. It was a big deal when they moved out of Houston proper to the Woodlands. And here I am about to take their daughter to Denver, Colorado. And here I am just a little exposed, taking a risk because at this moment at Garcia's at a Mexican food restaurant, I felt like it was time to take a risk that I was going to marry this woman. 
And so the thing that I often think about, especially preparing for this sermon, is, hey, what got me to the table? What got me to the moment? What empowered me to be so courageous that I would stand in front of two people who have more experience than me, who have a more vested interest in their daughter than I do at the time, who know her well enough, and say that I stand up and say to them, hey, can I marry your daughter? Now, the the reason I asked that question and the reason I thought about it for this particular situation is because it's the same question we have to ask from Matthew chapter 14. You see, we're going to look at a a text today where, where Peter is in the safety of a boat. It's a little tumultuous at the time. But he's in the safety of a boat and God asks him, Jesus asks him to step out of the boat and start walking on the water to him. And so just placing myself in that boat with Peter, the question that comes up, that has to come up, is what empowered Peter to be so courageous? What empowered Peter to be so such a risk taker that he would now step out of the boat and start walking on the water. So let's look at Matthew 14 so we can begin to to kind of dive in and see this. Now, Now to catch you up of where we are in the story, Matthew 14 starts at a party. Herod, King Herod is throwing a party and in the middle of this party, there's this woman uh, that seduces him and she does such a good job that he looks at her and says, hey, what can I give you as a gift? And this woman, being so full of hate, asks King Herod for John the Baptist's head. Now, kind of a crazy moment. King Herod, he must have been so uh, kind of in awe of this woman, maybe a little inebriated, and he says okay to that sort of request. So John the Baptist is beheaded, And then taken to the woman, she opens it up, and sure enough, there he is. There's the head of John the Baptist. Then Jesus finds out about this. And when Jesus is found and told the news, he's so distressed that he says he moves to a location that is desolate. That he removed himself to a desolate place. But because Jesus' fame has so grown, crowds of people start coming after him and start following him to the point where like 5,000 people, 5,000 men are there, not counting children, not counting women. So easily 10,000 people are here. The disciples look at Jesus and they're like, hey, uh, there's no Garcias here that's going to turn into a Fuddruckers for these people to eat. Like, like, there's nothing here. So what do we, we need to send them out to the surrounding cities to, to eat. And he's like, hey, what do you got? Hey, we got five loaves and two fish. And he's like, bring them to me. Jesus prays, starts breaking it. And before you know it, the entire group is fed. And then the disciples carry around baskets and collect all the leftover food. And it's 12 baskets worth a significant miracle. But then look at what happens in verse 22. It says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side 
while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long, <coughs> was a long way from the land. Now, that long way is a significant because it gives us a little bit of a picture. It's like, hey, it's just a long way away. Well, there's a word in the Greek called, in the Greek called stadia. And a stadia is 607 feet. So like two-thirds of a football field, if I'm doing the math correctly. It's about, about two-thirds of it. And, and the Greek says it is many stadia away. So it's, it's a long way off. It's so many stadia away that they can't even count how many it is. They can't even estimate it. It's just a lot of them. And in the fourth watch of the night, between four and six o'clock in the morning, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. So listen, let's get the picture here. There's a boat that is full of disciples, full of the 12 disciples. They are rowing. And as they are rowing, there's the wind that's coming. It doesn't say anything about rain. So maybe just the jet stream dipped over that sea that day. And the wind is howling and it's going. And then they just saw a miracle. They are without Jesus because Jesus dismissed the crowds and is on his own, probably still mourning and praying. And he is they're rowing this boat and they've gotten many feet away from the shore. It's between four and six in the morning. And I don't know what you're like between four and six in the morning, but I'm not all together. And out comes Jesus walking on the water. I mean, like, just put yourself in that situation. If someone comes into my house between four and six in the morning, I'm grabbing the iron cross outside the hallway of my room, and I'm like, who's there? And say it's my best friend. And I'm like, hey, no, for real, who's there? I'm shining the spotlight on them with the iron cross in my hand. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you show me your face, sucker, and we're going to get this. And so obviously there's a little bit of fear inside of them. Naturally. But immediately, like that word's important, and we'll look at it in just a minute, but immediately, Jesus senses the fear, and he says, hey, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Hey, hey, don't be afraid, because I'm right here. It's me. It's Jesus. You know, the water to wine guy, the guy that just did the miracle, like it's me. And I love Peter in this moment. You know, like, Ready, fire, aim, Peter. You know, like, hey, he doesn't think before he speaks. So Peter, right here, he says in verse 28, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. How about that request? He's like, hey, Jesus, I know you did the water to wine thing. I know you just did the five loaves and two fish. Very impressive. But here we go. If it's you... We're going to do a little litmus test. If it's you, then I'm going to step out on this water and tell me to come to you. I can just imagine Peter in this moment. Like, what's, Pete, what, like, what's Peter's self-confidence like here? 
you know, the disciples are like, yeah, you tell them, Peter. They're like all whispering to him. Yeah, you get them. And then Jesus, Jesus just says one word right back to him. And I'm not sure it's the word that he was expecting. He just says, come. What's interesting about that word, come, is it's, it's not the first time Peter has heard that word in a moment where he had to do something uh, brave. You see, Peter was a fisherman, spent a lot of time on the water. He knows what it's like to be on a boat full of waves when wind is blowing. And he is at the Sea of Galilee at this particular moment, Matthew chapter 4. And Jesus walks right on by Peter. They have a conversation. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, come follow me. And I will make you a fisher of men. You see, it's not the first time that, that Peter had heard that similar word to get out of a boat and to be something brave, to do something different. You see, because that word, that statement, that word come, meant when Peter said, okay, I'm going to go, it meant in Matthew chapter 4 that he was going to have to leave his family. He's going to have to leave his livelihood. He was going to have to leave all that he's known, his hometown. A lot of change was coming into Peter's life at that moment. And I don't know about you, but, but I don't, I mean, I do change pretty well, but there's a lot of us that don't do change really well. I mean, you have the same menu Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday for the last 10 years. You eat at the same thing for breakfast every day. And so Peter, that first word come in Matthew chapter four is like, hey, come here and change everything. This second word, when he hears the word come from Jesus' mouth, it says, okay, step out of the boat and be brave. And do something that you don't ever think is possible. So look at what happens. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. I mean, get the picture here. I don't know what, what it's like, but I mean, the boat is being pounded by the waves and then he's got to get out of the boat. And I don't know if he like just put one foot out and then another foot out and is holding on to the boat. And then that moment when you have to release and starts walking over or if he just jumped out of the boat. I don't know what happened, but all I know is that Peter steps a foot out and realizes he can stand and starts walking right to Jesus, he starts leaving the comfort of the boat and says, all right, I'm going, I'm going to do this and starts moving foot after foot. And this text would denote that he walks all the way to Jesus. Now we don't know the distance, but all I know is it's impressive. But the second thing that I know is that Jesus calls us to do the same thing every day of our life. Every day of our life, Jesus looks at us and he says, hey, I need you to leave the comfort of what our culture says is right. And I want you to take a step out and I want you to come to me. And so every day when we get up, we are confronted by the same question that, that Peter's confronted with, by, by the same challenge. I mean, think about it. Think about how God calls us to, to handle our finances. 
dramatically different than what the world would tell us to do, right? I mean, think about the, the, the t- concept of the tithe to someone who doesn't know the Lord. So you're telling me that, that you give 10% of your money to a church? And, and I've heard you complain about it. But you still give 10% of your money to the church? And you're like, yeah, I do. Like, like take money out of the picture and, and just think about the concept of parenting. I mean, Jesus calls parents to raise their kids to fear and love the Lord. And that means it's going to look different than what the safety of our culture says, right? I mean, what's the average age a kid gets a cell phone? I'm not bashing on when kids get cell phones, but, but what's the average age? Third grade? Fourth grade? I mean, if you're really conservative, sixth grade? But God calls us to peer into the hearts and souls of our kids and make a decision that's best for them in light of what God has called, in light of God calling you to steward that little heart well. And so when they come home and they're like, Dad, Mason has a cell phone. And you're like, I know, that's crazy, man. And he's like, can I have a cell phone? Nope, not here. Or what your kids are involved in in activities. God calls us to step out of the comfort of what our culture would deem acceptable and walk on the water to him. Okay, but take finances, take parenting out of the way. Let's just talk about marriage for a second. I mean, God has called men to give themselves up, to have their hopes, their dreams, their wants, their desires, to become secondary to their families and wives' wants, dreams, hopes, and desires. To love their wives as as they love themselves. Talk about an unnatural position to be in. I mean, I love myself. And when I want to eat food, and Mexican food, I'm going to go eat Mexican food. And I, if I want to live in a modern house, that's the type of house I want to live in. I live in a country cottage, a French country cottage, because my wife's needs, wants, desires, hopes, and dreams for our house become secondary to mine. But, but think about the, the role of, of a wife in marriage. Like to give herself up in such a way that when there's some conflict in your marriage, and maybe your marriage has never experienced this, but mine has, and there's some tension, God calls her to say, hey, I trust you to lead our family well, and we'll submit to what you feel like God is calling you to do. I mean, could you imagine that conversation inside of our culture? God calls you to get outside of the boat and keep walking towards him. Hey, but, but let's take finances, let's take parenting, let's take marriage, and let's talk about something else. I mean, let's talk about our behavior at work and our character. That God calls you to live your life in such a way where you're honest with your dealings at work. You know that moment when the culture says, hey, make yourself look good at every cost, where you can take the credit for some project that you're working on, and he calls you to start having character in that middle of that conversation and then he preys on someone else i mean we start thinking about the things that god calls us to in this book and we realize that every day 
When we get out of bed, he's saying, step out of the boat and I want you to follow me. I mean, every day he's calling us to that. And Peter, in God's power, steps out of the boat full of courage and walks to Jesus. But then listen to what happens. Verse 30. But when he, he being Peter, saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. In verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? So let's get a picture here. Peter has made it all the way to Jesus, sees the wind. And I don't know what your experience is, but oftentimes I envision this moment of the water becoming like quicksand. Like where Jesus, where Peter just kind of slowly sinks and like, oh my gosh. But that's not my experience with water ever. I'm either walking on it or I'm in the middle of it. I'm either walking on it or I'm neck deep. And I've never walked on it. So my experience with water is when I jump in, I go all the way down. And that's how I imagine Peter happening here. That on his way down, it's not like, oh, okay, God, help me. I'm in quicksand. I think it's just like, boom, he's neck deep in water in the middle of the waves, in the middle of the wind, and he's a little freaked out. And Jesus, verse 31, says immediately he picks him up. So here's my question. What gets Peter out of the boat? I mean, really. I mean, what, what causes a grown man who knows the water to step out and start walking? And I think the answer to that question is found in Jesus' response to Peter when Peter's in the water. It says, and immediately... Jesus picked him up and asked him this question. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Some of us might be thinking that Jesus is responding to that whole situation. Oh, you of little faith. I think that we get a small glimpse into the account right here where where Jesus is like, hey, you saw me do the miracles. You've lived with me for a long time and that got you out of the boat. And then you get right here and you have little faith and start sinking. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I think Jesus is talking about that one specific situation after great faith has been exhibited. You see, Peter, when he... When he answered the call in Matthew chapter four, he gave his whole life and he followed Jesus around and he saw everything, everything. He saw, he saw miracles happen. He saw lame men start walking. He saw a roof get dug out and a man lowered down who was crippled and that guy started walking again. He heard about the water and the wine and maybe experienced it. He all these things. He saw the 5,000. He, all these things he experienced. And when Jesus looks at him and says, hey, Peter, get out of the boat, he begins to entertain the idea because he's seen all the past. He has all the past experience. 
to empower him to be courageous in the future. In other words, I believe that Peter's faith to experience in the past leads him to step out of the boat and trust Jesus. And so if that's what it takes for Peter to get out of the boat is a faith that is cemented in his life because of experience, then I think it's the same thing that we have to have in order to step out of the boat in our context. You see, because every day God might be asking, hey, press into that relationship instead of withdrawing. Hey, hey, listen, steward the soul of that child well. Hey, hey, I know that your marriage right now is, is, a, is just a little bit in the valley. Hey, press into it even more instead of wanting to back away. Hey, I know you want all the credit of things, but now is the time to give credit to someone else. And every day, Jesus is asking us, hey, step out of the boat, step out of the boat, step out of the boat. And what we have to do is remember the times that God has been faithful to us in the past so that in the present, we can be empowered to be courageous. Does that make sense? When was the last time that you took a survey of your life and remembered the faithfulness of God so that you can be empowered to be courageous? So um, my parents, my dad grew up in Connecticut and my mom grew up on the island of Crete in Greece. Uh, my dad graduated last in his class. Um, that may explain a lot, but I gradu he graduated last in his class in high school. And so he, as looking at options, he decided the best one was the military. That military assignment sent him to Germany. There was financial uh, distress in Greece at the time. And so my grandparents on my mom's side moved the family to Germany. And then in some ice skating rink in a remote part, small village in Germany, there's this Connecticut guy and this woman from Greece. She falls down, he picks her up, and here I am. Like that's how it went down. And like, I don't know what it takes for a Connecticut, I don't know what the odds are of a Connecticut man and a Greek woman to meet, but I know it takes an act of God. That God so intricately, intricately wove the story of these two people and allowed them to meet in the most unlikely of fashions. Then my parents, not believers at all, an army chaplain comes, his name is Chaplain Clark, and shares the gospel with my dad. My dad accepts Christ, my mom, and then he goes home and leads my mom to the Lord. And then the next thing you know, uh, their family path, their family dynamic completely changes. And so they get pregnant with their second. My mom doesn't know she's pregnant. She goes to the doctor because she's not feeling great. The doctor gives her some medicine. Three weeks later, she finds out she's pregnant. Comes back to the doctor, and my mom said that the doctor had a disappointed look on, her, on his face because... When she said he was pregnant, he remembered the medicine that he gave her and said, hey, this medicine likely damages a baby and limits its development inside of the womb. And he looked at her and, and, and he told her, you should consider an abortion. But because a chaplain in the army 
shared the gospel with my dad and my dad shared the gospel with my mom, it changed their decision-making processes. And because of that, my mom and dad chose to go through the pregnancy. And I was born August 3rd, 1980. But then not only that, like my parents, they owned a company when I was in high school and in college. And they came the end of April one summer, or the end of April one spring semester, and they came to visit. I was in the Easter pageant through Central at the time. I was a Jewish dancer. Get that image out of your mind. Um, you're welcome. And, and I remember them coming to visit, and we're at an ice cream place uh, around campus. And my dad looks at me and says, hey, George, the, the company is not doing well. And, and so we think you should go find a job. This is the end of April. All the good internships, the desired ones are gone. I was envisioning myself in the middle of the heat in the summer, uh, laying down some cement is what I imagined myself doing. The next day at the BSM, Bob Mayfield, the current dire the director at the time, says, hey, uh, I just got a call from First Baptist Church of the Woodlands. And... Uh, they need an interim youth pastor. I know you guys probably already have plans, but if anybody's interested, let me know. So here's what's crazy to me. My parents' company failing said, I need to get a job. And then the next thing you know, Bob Mayfield is talking to you about a church in the Woodlands. And three days later, I'm in my car to the Woodlands interviewing at a church where Lindsay's parents go, where Lindsay is home for the summer because her mom had cancer at the time and forgot to pay her summer school bill in Austin. And so she got automatically dropped from her classes. Two unlikely paths to come together. But God in his faithfulness encourages us and brings us together. And it's in the middle of that faithfulness it's in the middle of those stories when I think back about the faithfulness of God that empowers me to be courageous moving forward when God calls me to step out of the boat. So, so here's the question. What's God calling you to step out of the boat towards? Really, I mean, like, like when you take a survey of your life, that thing that you know in the depths of your soul that God's calling you to do, but there's been some fear that has risen up. And Jesus has done the same thing they did with the disciples when, it's, when they said they were afraid in the boat. He's like, hey take, hey, take courage, it's me. I'm actually telling you to do this. Like, be, it's okay. And then what's he calling you to step out towards? Because I think the way that we find the courage to step out is when we realize that God's been faithful in the past and he's going to be faithful in the future. Same way that Peter got the courage to step out of the boat. But, but George, what about, what about us being out of the boat? Like when we're out of the boat, what's, what's God doing to us then? Like what's God's response to us? And this is the most beautiful part. Look at how many times the word immediately is used inside of this text. Verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Verse 27, after Jesus walks on the water to them and recognizes their fear, it says immediately he spoke to them. Then in verse 31, Peter's walking on the water and then gets to Jesus and Jesus, and then Peter goes down into the water. It says Jesus immediately reached out his hand. Verse 
It's not like God calls us out of the boat and then says, all right, when you mess up, no one's around here. But rather when he's out of the boat and we find ourselves in the middle of how did I get here to this moment and begin to doubt, the text says that Jesus immediately steps down and picked up Peter. And I'm just convinced he does the same thing with us. So here's my challenge to you. What's God calling you to, to step out of the boat? And second, like would you give yourself the gift of 30 minutes to an hour to just reflect on the faithfulness of God in your past? Like would you give yourself uh, the gift where you come together and you say, God, Will you just give me story after story after story of your faithfulness to me in the past? So that when you do call me out of the boat, I'll step in with power and with conviction, knowing that you've done it in the past and you'll be faithful in the future. That's my prayer for us, that we would be people not marked by good decisions, but rather we'd be people marked by the faithfulness of God in our life that we would step out of the boat with power and conviction because we know he's been faithful in the past and we'll be faithful again, just like Peter did. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for the time that we get to be here. And God, I know that we enter into this room, we enter into this space with a lot of decisions, with a lot of things going on. And God, I know that in a lot of our lives, we're feeling this, this tension to get out of the boat, to step out of the, the safety of what our culture would say is right, and to expose ourselves to the elements. God, I pray that you would give us the faithfulness and remind us of the faith that we had in the future or in the past and the faithfulness of you so that we can step out with confidence. But God... Um, I know that only happens when, when you move, when you speak. And so God, I pray that you would drive that deep into our heart and deep into our soul today. God, we love you. We trust you. And I pray we would walk out of here with the encouragement to move. God, thanks. We praise you in your son's name. Amen. All right, thanks for being here. Uh, you are dismissed. And uh, we will see you back here next week. Have a great week.